Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. If you would, open now to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 20 today. Uh, If you're new with us, welcome. Welcome to River Bible Church. We're glad that you're here. If you need a Bible, stand up, grab one of those in the back and take that home. That's our, our gift to you. We certainly want to make sure that you've got God's Word in your hand. As you turn to Matthew chapter 7, let me review... We listen to Jesus really begin his conclusion to his famous Sermon on the Mount last week. And and after listening to his sermon, really the crucial question becomes, Jesus is asking this now, right? He's like, you've heard my sermon, what are you going to do with it? It's decision time, right? Do you believe it, number one? And number two, are you going to apply this thing to your life? So to emphasize his point, Jesus gave us an illustration of two gates or two roads last week, one narrow and one wide. Key point number one uh, from last Sunday, we learned this, that every person decides for himself which gate to walk through. Every person decides for himself which gate to walk through. Really, this is truly an important point for us this morning. As a church, you know, we teach the Bible. As a church, we preach the good news of the gospel. We teach the the full counsel of God from cover to cover over and over, uh, time and time again. I mean, River Bible Church, it is our middle name. We put the Bible back in church, and it's up to you. So we we, we teach this stuff, but it's up to you individually whether or not you, you believe it. Key point number two from last week. This is really good. The man who does not consider his final destination is a fool. The man who doesn't consider his final destination is a fool. Guys, last time I checked, the death rate is holding steady. At 100%. You heard it here first. Right? In all seriousness, we've all got an appointment with Jesus face-to-face one day. Proverbs 12.15 says, Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. And then key point number three from last week, we learned that that narrow gate is Jesus. The narrow gate is Jesus. So the narrow gate is more of a who than a what. Jesus said, I am the gate. Those who come in through me, through me, not around me, through me, will be saved. John 10, 9. So after Jesus commands his disciples to enter by the narrow gate last week, Jesus now gives us a stern warning. 
making this conscious, willful choice that Jesus is God and that he is your Lord and he's your Savior, that is the most significant decision you will ever make by far. But it doesn't stop there, does it? That's only part of the journey. That's just the beginning. Contrary to popular belief, life doesn't get easier when you're born again. The, ro- uh, the narrow road, it's not safe. The, the narrow road is much more dangerous than the wide road for all the reasons that we discussed last Sunday. Um, now, don't get me wrong. Yes, we are free and we are forgiven by the bloody cross and the empty tomb, but we still live in a sin-stained and, and very, very angry world. And it's because of our fallenness and our brokenness that Jesus gives a new warning today. This warning applies to all of our lives because we're all dealing with this in some form or fashion. What is that warning? And how do we make sure that we heed this warning? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's Word. So just as we raised our voices to sing uh, praises to the Lord, let's, read, uh, let's raise our voices here together in unity as a church. Let's start in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. Didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Guys, these are the very words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me this morning. Proverbs 11.30 says that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. So, Father, we come to you as, as a church family, as visitors, as guests, and our desire is to be that tree of life, and we want to produce good fruit. Uh, you give us a warning today. Please give us ears to hear that warning. Please uh, show us the difference between good fruit and bad fruit this morning. 
And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Let's take a look at verse 15. Jesus says, be on your guard. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. Be on guard, prosecco. Your translation may read, be aware. You got to watch out. Take heed. Be careful of these guys. So the idea here is that we are to be in a continuous state of readiness. We are to pay attention to. We are to be on the lookout for. We are to remain alert. We are to be concerned about these guys. We are to consider carefully what these false prophets say. What exactly are we to be careful uh, careful of and careful for? Well, Jesus says, he says, be on your guard against these false prophets prophets. It is not a coincidence here that the first thing that Jesus mentions after we squeeze through the turnstile of that narrow gate and we start walking down this narrow road is to beware of false prophets. A false prophet in the Old Testament is a person who preached a false message. The false prophet was not motivated by God's holiness. It was a desire for human popularity. This was the, really the main difference between Jeremiah, Isaiah, the other prophets. Um, let me give you an example here. While Jeremiah was forecasting doom, the false prophets were assuring the people of peace. And yet war was right around the corner. So scripture speaks of, of three basic kinds of false prophets. We've got heretics, apostates, and deceivers. It's important to take note of these. A heretic is hostile to God's word. A heretic's teaching is contrary to God's truth. Pretty, pretty easy to spot a heretic. Number two, an apostate. An apostate teacher is, is someone that claimed to be a Christian at one time, but they've turned away from the faith, they now reject it, and now they're trying to lead others astray. That's an apostate. Thirdly, we, we have the deceiver. And really, the deceiver is the most dangerous because he gives the illusion that he's a Christian. He gives the illusion of his biblical doctrine, that it's correct. So, for example, he speaks favorably of Christ, He's got no problem with the cross and, and the Bible. He may go out of his way to appear conservative, fundamental, even evangelical. But he's not any of those things. He's a deceiver. Now, all three versions of these false prophets are nothing new. We, we see these guys throughout the Old Testament. Let me give you an example here. God speaks through Jeremiah. And God says this in Jeremiah 5.30. He says, an appalling horrible thing has taken place in the land. The prophets, they prophesy falsely, and the priests rule by their own authority. And my people love it like this. So God sent the prophet Jeremiah to call back his people to repentance. But it seemed like every time Jeremiah told the Israelites to repent of their sin, 
to change their ways, a hundred false prophets would show up to contradict him. So, for example, Jeremiah told the Israelites, he said, look, God's going to destroy this temple, Jeremiah 7 and 9, and then, and then the whole nation is going to uh, be captured by Babylon, we're going to exile, we're going to become slaves for the next 70 years, Jeremiah 25. But the false prophet said, no, 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 no. Jeremy's wrong. See, God is a God of love. God is a God of love. He loves everybody. Nothing will ever happen to that temple. He's not going to punish us. Look how great we are. How can God not love us? That's not going to happen. And yet God continues to speak through Jeremiah chapter 8. He says, even my prophets and my priests are like that. They are all frauds. Verse 11, if you've never read verse 11, please jot this down. This is a sermon and a sermon and a sermon. They offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurance of peace when there is no peace. Verse 12, are they ashamed of these disgusting actions? No, not at all. These guys don't even know how to blush. In fact, the, the nation of Israel didn't want to hear the truth about God at all. The Israelites, they respond by saying this. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 30. Don't talk to us about what is right, Isaiah. Jeremy, come on, man. Tell us what we want to hear. Let us keep our illusions. In other words, we don't want to live in reality. Does that sound familiar? It's really interesting to think about this. The greatest threat to the survival of Israel was never the military power outside. It wasn't, it wasn't the nations and the enemies of Israel outside. The greatest threat to the nation of Israel are the false prophets inside. False prophets in Scripture, they're called pseudo or false uh, brothers or apostles in 2 Corinthians 11. They're called false teachers in 2 Peter 2. False speakers or liars in 1 Timothy 4. They're called false Christ in Matthew 24 and false witnesses in Matthew 26. This teaching is all throughout Scripture. And just as a clarification, let me mention this. A prophet is a Bible teacher. I know many times we hear that word prophecy, and we immediately think that these guys are predicting the future, which is true. They did do that. But a prophet's primary responsibility is as a Bible teacher, a teacher of God's word. Um, that's where he spent most of, the, most of his time. So from this point forward, I just want to make sure that I'm clear with you guys, um, instead of using that word false prophets, because I don't want to convey the wrong message here, um, I'm going to use false teachers, false teachers. Um, and that's really important for our application today. How do we apply this message to our life when we come across a false Bible teacher? So back to verse 15. Be on your guard against these false prophets or teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravaging wolves. 
So wolves and wild dogs, they are the most common enemies of sheep. Wolves, they, they roam the, the hills and the valleys, and what, what do they do? They're looking for a lone sheep, right? Well, when they find that lone sheep, that wolf quickly attacks it. He has no chance of survival. Uh, sheep have no way to defend themselves. They are prey animals. They are not predators. So in other words, they, you know, they don't eat meat. They don't prey on other animals. Um, sheep don't have horns. And I'm not talking about rams here, but just sheep. Uh, they don't have sharp teeth, they don't have strong legs, and they don't have sharp claws. They are just one big ball of fur. That's all they are. Now, they, they do have good eyesight, they do have good hearing, and a, a good sense of smell, and those qualities do help them spot predators. Uh, sheep can actually detect wolves from nearly a mile away, and that's pretty impressive. But when they are in danger, their natural instinct is to stay together in a herd because sheep are social animals. They become highly stressed when there's only two or three other sheep around. They like a big, big pack. Uh, they function best in a community. Go figure. They will stay together to protect themselves from, from, from all these, these threats, but their strategy of survival is really avoidance. That's what they want to do. But when they're attacked, the sheep automatically flee. It's every sheep for himself. And when the threat is gone, they come back as a herd. So with that background now, back to verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. False teachers don't deceive the flock by impersonating sheep, but by impersonating the shepherd. They come to you. They come to you because they want something from you. True shepherds, on the other hand, they don't take. They give. True shepherds lay down their lives for the sheep. Back to verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you. How do they come to you? In sheep's clothing. A false teacher can wear sheep's clothing, but he cannot grow a sheep's coat. This idea of sheep's clothing, it paints the picture that this false teacher, he says all the right things. He's learned Christianese. He, he can talk the talk. On the outside, he, he looks like a shepherd, but Jesus says this in verse 15. He says, inwardly, inwardly. He is a ravaging wolf. His nature is anything but a sheep. A sheep's nature is meek and mild. This man is not that way. He is, he is ravenous. Havenous uh, translates as, as uh, harpax in the Greek. The, the picture here is, is of people who will swindle. This person will extort you for your money. These guys are common thieves. That's exactly what they are. And what they do is they use religion as their weapon. God, speaking through Ezekiel, says this, Ezekiel twenty-two twenty-seven. 27. He says, your leaders are like wolves who tear apart their victims. They actually destroy people's lives, and here we go, for money. 
So in other words, false teachers will profit from their lies and the, and, and the deception that they, that they give. The Apostle Paul, he says this in 1 Timothy. He says, teach these things, Tim. Encourage everyone in the church to obey these things because in verse 3, some people, some people may contradict our teaching, but these are the wholesome teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. These teachings promote a, a godly life. Anyone who teaches something different, well, that guy is arrogant. He lacks understanding. Such a person has an unhealthy desire to quibble over the meaning of words. Are we quibbling over the definition of certain words today? What is truth? What is marriage? Can a woman be a pastor? Wait a second. What is a woman? Holy smokes. Talk about swimming in the shallow end of the pool. Good night. It's amazing, isn't it? Paul continues here. He says this, this quibbling, what it does. What's it do in the church? What's it do among brothers and sisters in Christ? It stirs up arguments ending in jealousy, division, slander, and evil suspicions. He goes on to say, these people, they always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt, and they have turned their backs on the truth. To, to them, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. And there's your money factor again. False teachers love money. They cause fights. They look just like the world. They act like the world. They upset the faithful. They create all sorts of controversy and division. So here's key point number one for us today. False teachers are as spiritually dangerous to God's people as wolves are physically dangerous to sheep. False teachers are as spiritually dangerous to God's people as wolves are physically dangerous to sheep. So in other words, a false teacher is not your friend. He is your enemy. And he will destroy you like a wolf destroys a sheep. So how do you spot one of these guys? How do you spot a false teacher a mile away like a sheep does? Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, verse 16, Jesus tells us. He says, you're going to recognize them by their fruit. So Jesus tells us exactly how to spot these guys. This idea of fruit, it refers to people's words and their deeds. So this observation of being a fruit inspector, this is so critically important that Jesus says it here in verse 16, and then look at, look at verse 20 in your Bible. He says the same exact thing again. He repeats himself. So what are some of the, the signs of low-hanging fruit to spot a false teacher, a false pastor, priest, minister today? Uh, we've got four clues, four clues. The first is exactly that. It's, it's the one of sight. It's visual. You want to look for the way that a Bible teacher dresses and the way he carries himself. False teachers tend to have a, a certain look. These guys, they have a kind of a, a herd of their own, don't they? 
So just as a, a sheep can spot a wolf, Christians should have the discernment to spot a false teacher as well. These guys have big smiles. They're always smiling. It's like a permagrin. You can't wipe the... I don't know how they do it. You talk for an hour like this, it's just crazy. They've got big collars, right? These guys do not shop at Goodwill. And they got a big personality. He's dressed for success. I mentioned this, 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 this thing of, of dress because it's really important. Um, they dress the way that they do. It's not because they don't teach the gospel, but they teach the prosperity gospel. So beware of anything or anything that has an adjective before gospel. Prosperity gospel, uh, the social gospel. Uh, this visual clue of a false teacher, what it does is it sends the signal that he's better than you. He's better than you. He wants you to know that he can make you wealthy and healthy and prosperous just like him. That's the signal. And because these false teachers dress the way that he does, his followers want to be just like him. The second visual clue of false teachers is their worship service. Their worship services are not worshipful. They are events. These things look like a halftime show. They're just, they're just entertainment. The third clue uh, is his doctrine. Now, this is really dangerous because it's a lot more subtle. It's not so much what he says, but rather it's what he doesn't say. And that makes him really, really dangerous. There is a, a particular theme to all of this guy's sermons. And the theme is that they're all worldly. And here's what I mean by that. Number one, he says nothing offensive. The, the false teacher may talk about Christ's death on the cross, but he does it in a way that glamorizes it, idealizes it, maybe even romanticizes the substitutionary atonement of Christ. He doesn't say that we're all perfect, but he does suggest that sin is not that serious. It's not that big of a deal. And he certainly doesn't discuss man's depravity. If he does talk about sin, he, he does so in a way that it's a problem that we struggle with. Sin is not sin, it's just, oops, I just made a mistake. No sweat, God will forgive me. False teachers talk about God's love all the time. It's always about God's love. They don't, they don't talk about His holiness and they don't talk about His justice. There's no mention of a narrow gate. There's no mention of taking up your cross. There's no mention of, of dying to sin. There's no mention of suffering whatsoever. And nor does he ever talk about judgment or hell. So key point number two. Concealing the truth is as sinful as proclaiming lies. Concealing the truth is as sinful as proclaiming the lies. So false teachers don't ever teach the sinfulness of sin. 
He doesn't teach the, the total inability of man to do anything about his salvation. Instead, what he does, his message is always comforting people. See, he's got easy answers for worldly problems. He has no answers for eternal problems. The fourth clue here to a false teacher uh, can be seen by his followers. False teachers attract people with the same superficial, self-centered worldview as they have. The Apostle Peter has something to say about this, 2 Peter 2.2. He says, many will follow their evil teaching and their shameful immorality. Many will do this. Many of these false teachers, man, they've got these gigantic online ministries, massive churches. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. They fill up stadiums. And many people follow them for the same reasons that Jeremiah mentioned earlier. Back to verse 16, Jesus says, you're going to recognize them by their fruit. And then he, he pauses and he asks a rhetorical question. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So Jesus compares teachers in the church to trees. We see this throughout Scripture as well. Psalm 1 is a great example of that. Why does he do that? Because the essence of a tree, what a tree truly, truly is, is revealed by its fruit. For the layman... The fruit of the tree is often the only way that you can tell what kind of tree it is. Now, a fruit tree may be beautiful. It may offer shade in the summer, and you can even build a tree house for your kids or grandkids, right? But a tree's primary purpose is to bear fruit. So what's with this question? He says, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, we live in wine country here in the Verde Valley, don't we? We know what vineyards look like. On those vines grow these clusters of grapes, uh, but nowhere do we see grapes growing on thorn bushes. Thorn bushes, it's interesting because they do produce these small dark berries that look like grapes from a distance, but if you would eat one, it's, it's going to be really, really bitter. Jesus continues here in verse 17. He says, in the same way, every good tree produces good fruit. What's Jesus mean by that? What's good? The Apostle Paul tells us. We don't have to guess what Jesus means by this. Scripture always gives us the answer here. Actually, Paul gives us nine examples of what good fruit looks like. Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit. So there's our first clue, right? The, fr the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. It's love. Now let's make sure that we, def we, we, we have our definition of love as God's def definition of love, right? It's not this ooey-gooey, romantic stuff, worldly stuff. Love is, is, is a sacrificial love. That's what love is. Joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
As we walk along the narrow road, are we, are we becoming more of these things? Are we bearing these fruits? Are we more gentle than we were last year? Do we have more self-control um, than, uh, than when we were first born again, for example? And then Paul says this. He says, the law is, is not against such things, right? You can't overdo any of these things. So that's what a good teacher produces. And then Jesus says in verse 17, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. So it's, it's rotten, it's diseased, it's worthless. So Jesus, do you have any practical examples? No, but Paul does. Same exact chapter in, in Galatians chapter 5. Now, he gives 16 examples of bad fruit. Isn't that interesting? How many did we have? We got a half a dozen before. Now we got 16. He says the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. Man, it is such a good thing that we don't struggle with any of that today. That, that was only in Paul's day. He goes on to say idolatry, sorcery, hatred, Strife and jealousy, anger, all my selfish ambitions, my dissensions, all these factions. Verse 21, envy and drunkenness and carousing or anything like these. And he says, I'm warning you about this as I've warned you before. See, this is a constant thing in scripture. I'm warning you about these guys. I'm warning you about these guys. These guys who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jesus gave us a warning. Paul gives us a warning. And then in verse 18, Jesus says, A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Out of the heart, a man speaks. So we produce, we replicate who we are. Not necessarily what we say, but who we are. Verse 19, every tree that produces, excuse me, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So Jesus now talks about consequences. The only thing bad trees are good for is firewood. The metaphor of being thrown into the fire is that is the fate of these false teachers. This is the second time that Jesus mentions hell. In a matter of moments. Um, he's concluding his Sermon on the Mount. Last week we learned that he called hell the, the, the road to destruction. And now Jesus gives us a glimpse of what hell is like. He says it is a picture of burning. And this is not the only place where Jesus talks about fruit and hell. In John 15, 5, let me show this to you. He says, I am the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you got nothing and you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and it withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. And this brings great glory to my father. 
And then Jesus says for the very second time here in verse 20, he says, you're going to recognize these guys according to their fruit. So, as a disciple of Jesus, it is our job as the church to recognize false teachers by their fruit. Well, how do we do that? Well, the Apostle John, he gives us the answer here. 1 John 4.1, he says, don't believe everyone who claims to, to speak by the Spirit. You got to test them. You got to test these guys to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. Why? Why, John? Here it is again. For there are many false prophets in the world. So we got to test our Bible teachers to make sure that their teaching is biblical. Paul had his last words to the church in Ephesus, and he gives them a somber warning here, Acts chapter 20. He says, I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave. They're not going to spare the flock. And if that's not bad enough, look at this, verse 30, even some men, men from your own group, they're going to rise up, they're going to distort the truth in order to draw a following. So watch out and just remember, remember the time that I've spent with you. Remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch over you, night and day, and, and my many tears for you. So we talked about the fruit of a false teacher. Now let's discuss the fruit of a true teacher. Two things to notice here. First, while false teachers are generally self-appointed, true teachers are divinely commissioned. True teachers are divinely commissioned. So in other words, God has chosen this calling for that teacher. These, these qualifications, by the way, are found in Scripture. And it's amazing how false teachers completely ignore these guidelines. Found in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2 and 3, Titus 2. All through there. So true teachers are divinely commissioned. Number two, a true teacher is God's mouthpiece. He has a divine message. A true teacher must teach. He must preach. He must shepherd God's people. So in other words, a true teacher can't not do what needs to be done. He's got to do it. He will say what needs to be said regardless of the consequences. Prophet Jeremiah, this is, this is classic. He tried to quit being a prophet. He says, I'm done, God. I quit. Jeremiah 20, verse 7, we pick up the story here. He says, oh, Lord, you misled me, and I allowed myself to be misled. You're stronger than I am, and you overpowered me, and now, now I'm mocked every day. Everybody's laughing at me. When I speak, listen to this. When I speak, the words burst out. So in other words, I wasn't planning on what I was getting ready to say. I open my mouth and these words pop out. These are the Lord's words. Violence and destruction, I shout. So these messages from the Lord, they've made me this household joke. But... If I, if I say to myself, if I never mention the Lord, I'm never going to speak his name again. 
His words, they burn in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones. And I'm worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. I can't do it. So this this message of the true teacher, it's not his message at all. He is simply the messenger. We see a perfect example of this when the Lord called Moses into ministry. Exodus 4, verse 10, right? They have this long, drawn-out conversation. Moses is going, no, no, not me. Somebody else, leave me alone. Moses says, Lord, I'm not very good with with, 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 with words. I'm not very good. I've never been, and I'm not now. I'm not now. I'm even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue t- 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 tied. My, my words get tangled. The Lord asked Moses, isn't this precious? He says, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Oh, that'll change your theology. Who decides... Who hears and does not hear? Wow. And who decides who sees and does not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, Moses. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what you say. False teachers, however, they speak on their own authority. False teachers, by the way, they're usually pretty good at creating Christian community, fellowship. But over time, something demonic happens. The the, the false teacher replaces Jesus Christ as the authority. He steps in between that. He tends to garner more loyalty to himself rather than Christ. And I think one of the biggest tragedies for people who follow these guys is that they they genuinely do believe that they are serving the one true living God. And many of us this morning, we we hear that and we think, ah, I would never fall for that. Well, Jesus says, not so fast. In Matthew 24, 24, he says, look, guys, false messiahs and false prophets will arise and they they will perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. So take note, I've told you all this in advance. So all that to say this morning, guys, beware of the distractions as you walk the narrow road today. We'll discover next week that it it is a matter of life and death. This is serious because false teachers are duping Christians at this moment. So let me leave you really with a few questions to test the quality of a Bible teacher, just like the Apostle John told us to do. So this is somewhat of a a spiritual litmus test uh, to the quality of this man's message. All right, number one. Does the teaching satisfy your soul and not your flesh? 
Does it satisfy your eternal longing for a holy, holy, holy God? Does it satisfy the longing to be in community and and talk about the kingdom of God on earth? Number two, are you being fed the word of God or the words of man? Are you being fed the words of God or the words of man? Number three is a good one. Does it convict you of your sin? Are you offended? I have a buddy friend of mine who says, you know, if, if I don't come home from church somewhat offended, the preacher didn't do his job. I don't know about every Sunday, but there's a lot of truth to that statement. Does it bring you closer to God? Number four. How's your relationship with your father? Because this is all based on the relationship. Number five, does it equip you to meet Jesus Christ face to face? Are you prepared for that glorious moment? And number six, is the teaching slowly transforming your life into the character and the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are regularly answering no to these questions, please understand, guys, you're entertaining yourself here. And just like we talked about last week, you're fooling yourself. If you don't choose to change your ways, the Lord Jesus has something to say to you. And uh, we're going to find out what that is next Sunday. Father in heaven, thank you for the warning this morning. Thank you for showing us repeatedly time and time again how many false teachers there are. There were many in the Old Testament, and it seems like there are many more now. The problem with the many more now is that many of these guys have their own microphone. And it's so easily for them to gain access to our minds whether it's through a website, a video, and social media. So, Father, I pray that we would have our spiritual antennas up this week. And if we're listening to one of these guys, Lord, that you would make it so unbelievably obvious that we got to stop we got to turn around, we got to flee, and we got to get back in the herd. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.